You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Why don't we go ahead and find our seats, and we'll get started here today. So glad you guys are here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of 1 John. 1 John is toward the very end of the New Testament. And we're going to be starting in chapter 4. We'll be finishing up in our series in 1 John over the course of the next few weeks. And so I'm really looking forward to that. A couple kind of housekeeping things. Um, We are wanting to present a new elder candidate for feedback, and that is Chase Ritter. And so he's um, gone through a process of what we call elder development, where he and I get together and we read through some kind of some material and discuss it about what does it mean to be an elder, what is it like to be an elder at our church specifically, and our elder culture, and what does it mean to be a a church leader. And so um, Chase has done that. And uh, he feels good, his wife feels good, um, and the elders feel good about him moving into the candidate phase. And so now we take it to you guys. If you're new to, the, to our church, this is how this works. We ask for your feedback. We ask for your feedback, and we give you two weeks. Um, if you have any, uh, if you have a commendation of Chase, we'd love to hear it. Uh, if you have a concern, we'd love to hear that as well. And so we want to just plead for your feedback. Church leadership is a really big deal. Eldership is a really big deal in terms of how the Bible defines it. We take it very seriously. And so that's why we ask for your feedback, okay? So there'll be two weeks, and uh, you can reach any of the elders on Slack, in person. There's lots of ways to get a hold of us. Secondly, um, there'll be Q&A. I think, do we have a Q&A slide? Um, Q&A after the sermon, if you guys have a question about anything. I think if you go, if we don't have a slide, it's totally cool, but you can go on to, there, whoop, hey, there's Chase, there he is. It's a good looking family right there. Uh, but if you go on to the important channel on Slack, um, there's a link to, uh, let's see if I can, oh my, thank you, you're the man. Chase, see, get this guy to be an elder. <laughs> yeah, you can scan that right now if you want. <laughs> And uh, any questions you might have after the sermon, we'd love to address those. And if we can't get to them, um, we will uh, do that via podcast or maybe the Friday videos. All right, so let's open up to 1 John chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them, 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from God, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right, so there's a lot here to unpack. Let's look at the context, though. What I want us to do first is look at the context of what John is writing here, okay? So just jump back really quick to look at verse uh, 23 of chapter 3. So right above chapter 4. What does it say there? Verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John just finished talking about the Spirit of God, right? And it's like he's saying, we're talking about the Spirit that abides in us as Christians. And while we're on the topic of the Spirit, let me remind you of something. This is what he says to us today in verse 1. Not all spirits are of the Father. Not all spirits are of God. There is false teaching. There are people who say they're authoritative about teaching God's word, and they aren't. There's people that say they know the truth, and they're teaching the opposite. They're false. And how do we know which is which? That's a key question here this morning. It's a key question in the text. Well, what does it say in verse 4? Let your eyes look at verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test. That's the verb, right? That's the action. Test the spirits, it says. Why? Great question. Because he tells us, for... Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he's just saying, guys, they're out there. They're out there. Don't be fooled. Don't misunderstand. They're out there. And and John was writing this 2,000 years ago-ish, and it's the same as true today. They're out there. There's really bad teaching flying around that doesn't correspond to God's word flying around back then, flying around today, and everywhere in between throughout church history. People that say they speak for God, but they're false. In modern times, in the last 100, 200 years, you can think of Mormons, you can think of Jehovah's Witnesses. They say that they're Christians. They teach false doctrine. You see it in Islam for how since about year 700 about how they teach about Jesus and what he came to do. They believe in Jesus as a prophet, but their teaching about Jesus is completely false. You see it today in in certain denominations in churches today. False teaching. You can find bad teaching anywhere. And John, in his context, he wants them then and us now to what? Verse 1. What's the action? To test. Be ready to test. Be ready to discern. Be ready to be on guard. 
Because just, just because something sounds like Christianity doesn't mean that it necessarily is. Like I've had many conversations when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to our door or when the Mormons come to our door, many, many conversations in my adult life. And what you find is these guys, they're trained and, and, they, and they know certain portions of Scripture. They follow the script really well. And oftentimes what they say, it sounds really good. And I might say, well, I believe this. This is what the Bible teaches. They'll be like, yeah, we believe that too. And so it can be a little jarring. It can be a little confusing. But you have to dig deeper. Sometimes it's not super simple. You have to do some testing to see the, the real differences. So then the question becomes, right, if you're, if you're thinking about application for your life, how do we do this testing, right? So he says the test, but you might want to ask John here, if you were hearing this for the first time, well, John, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to be discerning? How am I supposed to be on my guard against false teaching? It's a great question. He tells us. And for John, in his context, it boiled down to, the fancy term is Christology. Essentially what that means is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? And that's what he's going to teach his first audience here in the book of 1 John. He's saying, here's the point, false teachers, false teaching, false prophets, false prophesying, will be identified for this ancient church in this context by a messed up view of Jesus, by having bad Christology. Look at verse 2. He says it real black and white. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. So key in here where it says every spirit, here's how you know what's truly of God. This is for them then, right? This is, he's writing because of a certain type of teaching that's flying around in their context. And he's saying to these ancient believers, every spirit or person teaching that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you can listen to them. Now here's the challenge, and this is what we often find when, when we're reading our Bibles and trying to apply it to our own lives. And I've studied this text a lot this week, read a lot of commentaries. No one really knows for sure what the details of this bad teaching was. Obviously, it had something to do with the humanity of Jesus, okay? That was off, according to John. Now, there's, there were ancient heresies flying around. Gnosticism, uh, docetism, a lot, a lot of these fancy words, um, but I can just tell you some of the summaries. One of them was that Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't really a human being. Not fully God and not fully man, as the Bible teaches. They said that, that Jesus just appeared to be human, but he wasn't actually human. There was another heresy called Gnosticism. Kind of complicated. 
it had a, a pretty long shelf life in the ancient church uh, for a few hundred years. There's different forms of it. But one of the main tenets of Gnosticism was that the human body can be rejected. The human body is bad, corrupted, should not be valued. All that really matters is what's spiritual, okay? And so, like, Jesus coming as a true human being would be bad for them because the human physical body is bad. So we can't have Jesus having a, a real human physical body. That was flying around in the, in the ancient times. There's lots of other different heresies and false teaching. It probably was something along these lines, but we don't really know for sure. But what we do know is it had something to do with Jesus coming in the flesh. The theological term is his incarnation. There was some messed up teaching about the incarnation of God as a human, fully God, fully man. So the problem is we don't know for sure what this was, so it's hard to make an application for us today in terms of this direct false teaching. So how do we apply this to our lives for today? Well, I think not all is lost. And the rest of our text for today, John gives us some great clues on how do we apply these principles to kind of test false teaching and, and be on our guard and be discerning and not just getting tossed in here and here and there by any, any uh, wave of doctrine, okay? So look at verse 4. Let's keep reading here. John writes, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, overcome these, these false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So you don't have to worry about the false teaching because you're the real deal. And the real deal inside of you has overcome this horrible teaching, okay? He wants them to be assured of this. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them, and the world listens to them. But verse 6, by contrast, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Did you catch that? He said it real clear, kind of black and white at the end of verse 6. What does he say? Look at verse 6. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what's the this? Did you see the this he's referring to in verse 6? Whoever listens to us. Who's the us? The us is John and the other witnesses of Jesus. We'll get to that in a second. But John basically says the dividing line between truth and error are those that listen to him, John, and his teaching, and the, the we, like his crew, like his, his guys, the ancient apostles. That's the we. That's the us in this text. You see it there? Whoever listens to us, verse 6. Verse 6, beginning, we are from God. Whoever listens to us, okay? So the, the theological term for this is the apostolic witness. The first witnesses of Jesus, disciples, some others, 
They are the ones with the authority. Okay? That's what he's saying. Look back at chapter 1. Just flip back there real quick because I want, I want to show you what he's doing here, the foundation of what he's writing here in chapter 4 because he's already talked about it in chapter 1. Right from the beginning, this is John's claim. This is why he claims such stark and kind of heavy authority. This is it. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So th- again, that we. Who's the we? It's, it's John and the other apostles. We have heard, we've seen, we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was mani- made manifest and we have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. So you see the repetition here over and over. He's saying, we saw it. We were a part of it. We were witness to it. All that he said and he did, he died and he rose again. Like we were there. That's the authority that we have. We were the first witnesses, apostolic witnesses. And he's drawing on that authority now in chapter 4, okay? He's saying just very boldly, we're the ones that have the authority to sort out true and false teaching. So it's like either you're with us or you're with them. He makes it really black and white. Like our way is the God way, their way is the false way. Now, here's where this can get a little jarring for us, right? And this is where we have to be reflective about our own cultural formation. Sometimes our cultural sensibilities kind of rub against what the Bible says. So we don't want to change what the Bible says. We want to be reflective about how our culture is shaping us. How's our culture shaping us? Well, we live in a culture of relativism to, to a degree, it's changing. We're getting much more dogmatic. But I was, when I, like when I went to college 25 years ago, it was very popular. And it's still sometimes popular in certain contexts to just be like, well, truth is relative, right? You hear it said in this way today, well, this is my truth. What is your truth? As if there could be different truths. Like I believe that two plus two is four. You believe two plus two is five. Hey, it's all good, Right? That's a little extreme, but that's the theme oftentimes. And so when we're kind of, when that's the cultural water that we swim in, like how dare you say that you know the truth? John kind of saying, hey, I know the truth. We're the truth. They're the liars. And just saying it without apology, that can be a little jarring for us, right? John doesn't believe it's just his truth. He believes it's the truth, right? That it's absolute. So it's a good time for us to just kind of pause and go, man, if if this is rubbing me the wrong way, does the Bible need to change or do I need to change? Is it me over the scriptures or is it me under the scriptures? So let's summarize where we've been so far. John is saying real clear, there's theological wackos out there. Out there, There's bad teaching out there. Be on guard. Be discerning. Don't fall for everything that just sounds like Christianity at first blush. And then based on verse 6, one of the key questions is to test, to discern, 
Does what someone is teaching adhere to the first apostolic witness? Meaning, the people who observed Jesus and wrote down all that he said and did. So, it's another way of saying, does it, uh, does it, does it, does it, does it um, correspond to the Bible? To what they wrote in the New Testament. So we don't know for sure what the false teaching was exactly for them in terms of exact details, but John gives us a really helpful roadmap just as a kind of a broader application for how to handle false teaching in in any sense. And it's essentially this, test everything against the Bible. Test everything against the Bible. So what does that imply? Great follow. I didn't even intend this to be this this week. Praise God. But this is a great application part two from James' sermon last week, right? James taught us so well last week about how we grow as Christians through the consistent intake of God's word. How we'll starve if we don't have it. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. So we can't test something against the Bible unless we know what the Bible actually says, right? Think about it like this. I've learned that when... I think it's the, is it the secret service? I think this is right. The secret service is in, is in charge of investigating counterfeit money. Is that true? Yeah. So uh, the secret service, so I've heard, when they are trained to identify a counterfeit from the real thing, what do they do? Historically, what they do, I don't know if maybe technology has changed today, but like, few decades ago, what they would do is they would spend a lot of time studying the details of the real thing. You become an expert on, on, on evaluating and identifying what is true, what is real, so that when you see something that's kind of a fake, it's easier to spot because you know the truth, you know the reality so well by studying it over and over again, upside, downside, you know, whatever. All the details, you just kind of grown so accustomed that you can easily identify when something's off. I also think about it kind of like this. There, there are people out there that are paid millions of dollars to be able to identify and predict what athletes are going to succeed in the pros and which ones aren't. They're called scouts. And they've watched thousands and thousands of hours of the pros doing what they do. They identify what makes this athlete in a professional sport just flourish in whatever sport they're doing. They can identify it and and identify like the way their body moves and the way they respond and all these tiny little details. They're trained to just see it instantly. So then when they see someone at a lower level, that doesn't have those same themes in their athleticism, they identify it very, very quickly, right? And it's the same kind of with us in in our understanding of how to discern truth from error. You can see the connection to, to false teaching 
See, oftentimes when you know your Bible really well, through just soaking in it year after year, seeing the storyline of Scripture worked out through history of the Bible, all the major themes that are just consistent throughout the storyline of Scripture, different topics that you see. What does the Bible say about prayer? What does the Bible say about sin and suffering? What does the Bible say about this and that? When you soak in Scripture like this, sometimes it's really easy to spot, and it just jumps off the page. like, nope, that is wrong. And you just have real kind of like, if someone stands up here and says, like, the physical resurrection of Jesus did not happen in time, space, and history 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, that's pretty easy to spot. That's opposite of what the Bible teaches. We can say false teaching, nope, reject. Sometimes it's not that simple, though. Sometimes it's more complicated. And it's not always that we can spot false teaching in an instantaneous way. But what I've seen over the years, this is just kind of anecdotal, what I've seen over the years is that sometimes things just start to smell a little funny, you know? It's like if you're a master chef, you've been making this, ma- this beautiful meal year after year after year, and like maybe one of the ingredients is off. You're not really sure where it is, or maybe, maybe the meat is maybe a little bit spoiled, but you're not really sure. Something just starts to, your, your nose is so attuned to what this is supposed to smell like and taste like. It just, it just, it rubs you the wrong way because you're so used to it, right? And it's the same, I think, with, 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 with bad teaching. Something starts to feel a little bit off because you just, you know the truth. You've been soaking in it for a long time. It just starts to feel a little bit off. Something starts to taste a bit funny because your taste buds have been so trained year after year to taste and see that the Lord is good. So the application for us is really kind of simple based on what John is saying is does it correspond to what the first witnesses taught? False teaching is easier to spot and test and defend against when you know correct teaching. And when you're steeped in it year after year after year. This is why we preach the Bible like we preach. Verse by verse. Um, it's okay to sometimes do just a, a topical message on you know, marriage or parenting, and, and th- those things are all important. But if we don't give you a steady diet of what the Scripture says through books at a time, like we're just going to leave stuff out, and you'll be starved from really, really important things that God has put in His Word. That's why coming to church and listening to God's Word is, is important. It's why we, we pick songs that should reflect the teaching of Scripture in, in a really important way. It's why we want to have um, some of our time in city group be centered around Scripture. Right? It's why you hear me say all the time, don't just believe me because I'm standing up here shooting my mouth. Believe me because you're convinced that it's coming from Scripture. Like if I can't persuade you that it's from, from Scripture, don't. Don't trust me. Don't trust anybody who stands up here, right? Like the majority of our teaching at the vine should be drawing your attention to the word, not to some speaker with hopefully some clever 
rhetorical flourishes or whatever, if that's what your hope is in, ultimately being entertained, like it'd be fun if I was a stand-up comedian, right? That'd be fun. Or whoever's standing up here. But ultimately, that's not what, what, what you need. Ultimately, you don't need entertainment. What you need is God and his spirit working through his word. Let me just close with this. You guys want to be like the Bereans. You guys heard of the Bereans? If you haven't heard of the Bereans, it's totally okay. You'll hear about them right now. And they, they, they don't get much, uh, much, much uh, airtime in the Bible. But what they do get is, is very, very important, especially as it corresponds to our sermon today. You don't need to turn there, but it's in Acts chapter 17. And Paul and Silas are these two guys that were running around planting churches and making disciples like crazy after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father. And they're, they're going all over the place, telling people about Jesus, planting churches. And in Acts chapter 17, it says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now here's the important part. So they're in Berea. Thus they're speaking to Bereans, right? You with me? They received the word with all eagerness. So they, they were eager. Good. But what else did they do? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So what's the tie to our text for today? They received the word. Okay? They received it. They heard it. Right? It's good. But they weren't just going to be gullible about everything. They wanted to say, okay, does this correspond to what the Bible teaches? And so it says they tested the scriptures. I love it. It says daily. Like they, they, they were intent on it. They were focused on it. There was a repetition there. They were taking, obviously they were taking it seriously. Right? To use John's language in our text, they were trying to discern, is this of God or is this of the world? So they proved that they were of God because they listened to the apostolic witness of Paul and Silas, but they tested it to make sure, 1 John 4, verse 1. So you want to be like a Berean who doesn't just take things necessarily at face value, but wants to verify what's being taught against God's word. This is how you test the spirits or test prophecy or teaching. There's other ways to test. There's more we could say, but it doesn't necessarily flow from our text, so I'm not going to say that today. There's more we could say about this in terms of testing. But here's what it is for today. If it deviates from the apostolic witness as recorded in the Bible, if it doesn't square with Scripture, reject it. Let me just give you one, um, one caution by way of application, and then maybe we'll do a couple questions and be done. It's easy for some of us with certain personality types to hear a sermon like this 
and to be the um, eternal skeptic. And in, in a sense, it's like negative, maybe a little um, jaded, um, always having a posture of suspicion that's going to be harmful for relationships, okay? Now, there's a, a dance here. There's a tension here we have to live in. You can be loving and warm and also not just believe everything you're told. You don't have to just be a kind of a callous skeptic that kind of sits back with arms crossed like, yeah, prove it to me. You know what I mean? You don't want to be that person. But at the same time, you don't want to just be gullible about everything, right? So, so there's a, the, maybe the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May that govern how we carry ourselves, right? So that we don't err on either, either one of those, where we're not believing everything or we're just like the hard, skeptic, calloused, jaded, I dare you to prove it to me kind of person. We don't want to be either one of those. Make sense? Okay. In summary, what do we got for today? Test what you hear or what you're being taught. Know your Bible. It's a process of daily intake. And reject that which is not clearly taught in Scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for how you work through your spirit and through the teaching of those first witnesses to the ancient church. And from that ancient church comes more and more churches being planted to here we sit today. And so thank you for the testimony of your word that continues to lead and guide us. May you help us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at a couple of these. You guys can stay up here. That's fine. No, just stay. You're good. You're good. You're good. We're we're we're, we're informal. It's fine. Yeah, great question. Um, I've heard Muslims and others say that they believe the Bible is a great piece of literature, but misinterpreted or untrue. That's what you always hear. Um, do you have any books or resources you might recommend for a person who doesn't trust the trustworthiness of the Bible or resources for believers to grow in our trust of the Bible? There's a great book called uh, by Greg Gilbert um, called Why Trust the Bible. And it's, it's short, sweet, so it's just a little, you know, little guy. And um, I would start with that one. Um, you can just jot a note down. Um, I'll, I'll maybe post something here uh, on Slack, but I would just start there. Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert. And then, I mean, if you want to do a deep dive on, um, um, the, the, the title's going to escape me. Um, Richard Bauckham wrote a book um, about why trust exactly what John's talking here. I'll put it on Slack. Um, I can't remember the title right now. Anybody? David Jordan, you remember? No? Okay. Um, okay. So I will give you guys some more helpful because you can do lots of deep dives, even way more academic on why we should trust the authority of the scripture. Like why the Bible is unique. Why should we trust it? I mean, ultimately, if you're a Christian here, you should be able to answer that question. Right? Because we're staking our lives on this thing. Here's a question 
and I'm not going to respond to it now because it demands a um, a more thorough response, but I will just tease you with it, and then I'll post something either on Friday or in a podcast or in writing. I will post it somewhere. How would you respond to a person who is skeptical about the truth of Scripture due to concerns about circular reference? So if you don't know what this means by circular reference, circular reasoning. So like, um, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, because the Bible says it's true. That would be, someone would say, an example of circular reasoning. Uh, I believe the Bible because it says it's true. So why does it say it's true? Because it is true. You know, and so people would say that's circular reasoning. And um, there's a lot we could say about that. And um, we'll, we'll do, maybe I'll post something that's much more helpful along those lines uh, when there's more time to dig into that. We're going to move now to the Lord's Supper.